telegram in there from Wally Rothick or in the album. And he knew that I was going on that picture. Harry Hurt directed it. Wally Berry and Bessie Love and Lloyd Hughes. This is which one, uh, all right? This is the, the Lost, Lost World, World with the yep. prehistoric animals, the dinosaurs, the pterodactyls. And yep. But before we started that picture, George, yeah. I wanted to make some tests on it. I had an idea. And I just don't remember what prevented us from doing this thing, but just the title itself suggested that we have people that nobody knew no names at all. Yeah. We didn't want the Wally Berries or the Bessie Loves or anybody like that, but just a lot of people. Then, see, I made that right after I had made Thief of Baghdad. Mm -hmm. And on Thief of Baghdad, I was able to get a man by the name of Leek down at Putnam's, the optical company, to make me these lenses that I would put in front of my lenses. Mm -hmm. And it would give you a certain amount of clarity and then a certain amount of distortion that the caves and everything that I made in that picture, the <coughs> test that I made, they looked and nobody could, could describe exactly. They had no definition whatsoever. Yeah. It was just something that was out of this world, like out of this world, yeah. exactly. Oh, and uh, when Earl Hudson and they and Harry Hurt and they saw these tests I brought back, I went down the slough down in Culver City with four or five of these colored men in one of these canoes, mm -hmm. and I was shooting this stuff. And when I brought it back, they said, "God, onto this here will be absolutely marvelous." Well, about a week before the picture started, Earl called me in and says, "Arthur, we talked to." Uh, what was his name? It was World Film at that time. Uh, he was the head of the firm. Not uh, well, well, we'll find it later. Yeah. Yeah, I just cannot think of his name. Well, they decided there that they didn't want it. They were afraid to gamble. And do the picture that way. So I said, without any star names, you mean? Yeah. yeah, they were afraid, and and do it in the, the quality of photography, with with the the mood that I wanted to put this thing in, which would have been something entirely different. I had one sequence in Thief of Baghdad, and that was where he he plucks the apple. Oh yes, yes, yes. And, and I yeah. made him with those lenses, and yeah. that is what gave me the idea that I could make this picture, The Lost World. That yeah. Well, we didn't do it. We just made the Lost World there in the conventional way with... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a picture there that was very well accepted, but... Oh, what an opportunity we lost on that. You only get those ideas once in a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, let's... Let's see what else is coming on this right here. Oh, this was a one there that I made one time. Which one? Okay. I got the back of page on this thing here. <coughs> Two, her sister from Paris with Ronald Coleman and Connie Talmadge yeah. and yeah. George K. Arthur. Yeah. It was a dual role thing and at that time Connie played the both sisters in yeah. this. 
And there were some comedy situations in that thing with Ronald Coleman, who was very young at the time. It was absolutely marvelous. No. Just absolutely wonderful. Did you have any uh, uh, trick photography in that, mask screen or things? Yeah, like well, that? it was all split focus, yeah. you know, okay. there are things there that. Uh, which was a very simple thing to do. I didn't have any apparatus for that thing. It's all I did was put a piece of cardboard out in front of the camera. <laughs> we didn't have all the things that you do today. Now, no. when you do a dual roll today, you just simply go ahead and photograph your double in one there and then your, your actor in the other. And then in the, on the optical machine, they go ahead and they put it yeah. together for you. Yeah. Tell me about how you first got started, though, Arthur. I, did, I was fooling around over there, and I didn't hear you. Well, I've got that in this uh, biography. I think that that would explain. When I read this thing, it's going to give you practically everything that happened as of 1910 coming right through. Yeah, but uh, wait, wait just a minute. You were saying that John Vanderbrook was... was um, with Turner. With Turner. But was he a retoucher at the time that you were in? When I was <coughs> in New York, when I was retouching, I don't know exactly what the studio was. I was retouching. And John, and we, there was about eight of us in bo little booths, that's all. You never yeah. saw one another. Yeah. You just had your head in this darn thing in the little windows. And he was at one and I was in the other. And he yeah. remembered me. When I came to the Eclair Film Company... This is around 1910? This is back in 1910. As an actor? As a, well, I came there. I didn't know what I was going to do. I yeah. mean, things got to be so bad in the portrait studio during that slack period yeah. that I, uh, I said, well, I'm going out and see if I can't get my job. So I went over to Fort, Fort Lee yeah. and went to the Eclair studio and just went to see somebody. Uh -huh. Who was it? Do you remember? that I, I talked to, to see? Yeah. well nobody in particular yeah. I just sat there which in this thing here and a man said I want you you and you and by God by the time and he says me and he says come this way and we all went that way and the next thing I find out there that it he wants me for an actor for an extra man yeah. uh -huh. <laughs> what was the very first film you were in do you remember what do you remember anything about it, the situation yes I do yeah. there was a man by the name of Shera who was a wonderful person, and he taught me how to, he put some crepe hair on my face, and I had ridden some horses at New York, <laughs> and I was, I became an Indian. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he made me up. I knew from nothing about it when I went in. The only thing I had, I had some professional experience. No. I used to work without, there's a letter in there, in my album that uh, from Alfred E. Henderson who yeah. was with Carnegie Hall yeah. and I had done some re dramatic recital work uh -huh. well that was a great help yeah. I mean it, it both as an amateur and a professional because I did do some dramatic recital yeah. work in Carnegie Hall for uh -huh. him so to become an actor was just another going in another phase yeah. was all. What, what, about when did you start in the photographic studio? Was it in the 90s sometime or was it after the 90s uh, century or when? I must have been about 19 years old at that time. I started back in 1910. Uh, my first job in a photographic studio was on Lexington Avenue and I can't remember the street but I got three dollars a week and I'd come in every morning at 7 o'clock and sweep out the studio. Oh, that was a tough job. <laughs> but I, I started right from the ground up. Yeah. 
and I learned how to how I was doing printing. I was doing platinum printing. I was also doing uh, collodion carbon printing at that mm -hmm. time. And uh, then later on, I was there with him for about two years, and uh, then I would develop the negatives until I got to the stage where I became an an assistant portrait man. Mm -hmm. Well, from then on there, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. it really got under, well, it got so there that photography was my life. From yeah. then on. Mm -hmm. And with motion pictures coming and seeing some of the things that they were doing. What, do you have any definite recollections of motion pictures that you saw as a boy or when you were working in this photographic studio? Uh, you see, at that time they were making these little five, half real pictures, 500 yeah. foot shorts, yeah. things like that. A lot of things that I have no idea what they were. It was just something. Were they American or French or Italian? Uh, or some of them, most of them were that I'd come in contact were pictures that were sent over <laughs> here from France. Mm -hmm. And some of them that were made by this French firm. I was the only American with the Eclair Film Company oh, in the camera department yeah. when I started. Mm -hmm. There was Rene Gissard, Georgie Benoit, John Vanderbroek. He was part French. He talked French beautifully, but he was a Hollander. Mm -hmm. But one of the most lovely. I will never. F I'll never forget two people, and one was Billy Bitzer, and the other was John Vanderbroek because. Mm -hmm. They were idols to me. I mean, I used to watch their work and follow their pattern the same as we all do today. We mm -hmm. follow one another's pattern. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that just a little little later on, on these awards there, that you get a man that I think is the greatest. Where do you see this South Pacific? Leon Shamrock. Leon Shamrock. Yeah. Uh, he has forgotten more about color than any man in the business. He's a great boy when you know him. He's a diamond in the rough, but a very wonderful. Mm -hmm. He creates his color. That is something that I was never allowed to do when I worked with Technicolor. I had to work in a key of light. In the end of my biography, there's a lot of the pictures that I'd made at Warner Brothers. The last one I made was my Wild Irish Rose, uh, The Time, Place, and the Girl. Thank You Lucky Stars was the first one that I made. Oh, I don't know how many of them, their color pictures. But I was never able to do the things that yeah. I wanted in color. Today you can. Mm -hmm. There's more freedom for experimentation. Oh, yeah. you well, you don't have to work in that key. First thing there, you work in a combination of both arc and master lighting. And with, with a filter renderation that you can, some of the things that were done in the South Pacific, the filters, well, I think that will be the greatest photographic achievement. If that doesn't take the Academy Award this next year, then there is something cockeyed wrong, I'll tell you that. Because this boy has lost it. He should have had it on a king and I. I thought his Egyptian was a beautiful photographic yes, color job. Yes, it was. And somehow or other, they, he's won it three times, you know. Mm -hmm. And they just won't give it to him anymore. No. Maybe they think that... Oh, I don't know. They, they should guess. pass it around or something yeah. like that. 
What Here's what? a picture I had a lot of fun making. Which one? I've got a letter in my album from Eddie Small. McFadden's Flats. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's not alive anymore. Arthur, did you work, after you went to work as an actor for Eclair, did you work for about four years as an actor? Or did you, oh, no, no, no. No. You, you started on, uh, your first one, uh, Soul to Soul, was Soul 2013, wasn't it? Now, right after Soul What did you do, excuse me, what did you do in the intervening period between starting uh, with Eclair in 1910 and, and uh, beginning to photograph in 1913. Did you continue as an actor all in through there? All through that period of time there, I was working as an actor and as a bit man, yeah. and I used to do, I used to always have a camera with me. Mm -hmm. And my coming with the Eclair Film Company into their photographic day are the still pictures that Mr. Arno and these actors, I used to take these portraits of them. Mm -hmm. And as one, John Vanderbilt came to me one day, he says, Art, he says, you're at the wrong end of this thing here. He said, why don't you try and go ahead? Why don't you take the still department? Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I don't know. And through the influence that he had with Mr. Georgian, who was the president of the firm, mm -hmm. at, uh, we had a oh, sort of a big gathering for the whole company over at, the, at uh, Sellers in Fort Lee, this big cafe. And that night, Mr. Georgian asked me, he says, Arthur, wouldn't you like to go into the and take care, take charge of our still department? Well, things were getting so there that I was getting about three bucks a day. In fact, I only got $25 a week when I was a cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I said, well, I'll try it. And uh, I went into that. I took a a section in their hypo room there, rig that all up, and they'd press a button, and I'd run up on the stage and make some stills, and then I'd develop the negatives, make the prints. <laughs> yeah. How did you develop in those days? What was the setup? With? All just trays. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you use drying racks there or not? Uh, you see, we had plates in those days. We didn't have any film. Oh, I see. Yeah. This was all wet plates. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You're talking about stills, yeah. Yeah, yeah stills. Uh -huh. We uh, had the Stanley plate and the seed plate, yeah. which some of your boys there will remember very well. And, uh, well, in those days we were coating our, our uh, albumin paper, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which was quite a job. Uh -huh. who, who was the, uh, do you remember who the, the director was that you first worked with in that the Indian film, as an Indian in the film? Uh, there were. Alec Francis was one of the directors. Bob Haddock was one of the directors. And uh, you never know who you were going to work with. They just simply, you'd, you'd be there at the studio and you weren't being paid unless you worked. You only got $3 a day. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, they'd uh, just, well, we'd take you, 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 and that's it. And they'd start out and they'd shove the scenery that was nothing else but a lot of canvas painted they'd shove that on the stage, or you'd go out. This one director there, I made Soul to Soul, he used to enjoy this Ferrando's in Fort Lee, this restaurant, it was a whitewash building. And we made this, this whole picture against that thing, well you can just about imagine, with a little experience that I had at the time going against pure white yeah. with a very shallow lens there, I don't know mm -hmm. what it was, but that old Eclair camera that we had. And oh God, when I saw the stuff, it was so overexposed. <laughs> and Arno says, he, 
<coughs> he is a crazy portrait photographer. He said that he is not a motion picture. Camera. When he saw the rushes on this thing, what would that just tear him? Really? Yeah, but then again, after all, it was nothing but experience. The darn things they you made them in about a day. Who were the actors in it? Do you remember? And Saul the Soul? Oh, was Barbara Tennant in that by any chance? Oh, no. Barbara Tennant was one of their big stars. Yeah. Or George Larkin, was he in it? George Larkin, Lamar Johnson. They were actors there at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't know who they had in that one in Soul to Soul. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. But uh, when I did the picture with Barbara Tennant, that was one of those experiences there that... I guess it was one of those things that was just going to happen. Well, but, excuse me, I meant to ask you, wasn't Andrio with the Eclair at that same yes, time? Yes, he was one of our, he was in the laboratory yeah. at that time. He couldn't talk English at all. Oh. Mm -hmm. In fact, most of these boys, with the exception of John Vanderbrook, who talked English fluently, mm -hmm. little Georgie Benoit couldn't talk English at all, Agnell, who they put in my department there to take over the still department, he, they sent him over here from France. He uh, he couldn't talk English at all. I taught him how to talk English. Then there was Rene Gessar, who talked broken English. Mm -hmm. But those were the cameramen. <coughs> yeah. Now, uh, when did Vanderbrook come with them? Do you know? He any started idea? with the old Eclair before I... He did. Yeah. Was I he did. photographing right along at the time that All you were the there? All the time, yes. Were there any big productions that he made, or relatively big productions that he worked on at that time that you remember? Well, not until we came, not at the Eclair, but the pictures that he made at the Eclair, he made some with Capilani, and he made most of his pictures with Tournaire. Yeah, that was when, uh, that was with World. That was with was World. Was there some connection between Eclair and World? Did yes. The Eclair Film Company then became the World Film Company. Mm -hmm. And that is when Mr. Brulator became the president of the World Film. That was at, the old Eclair burned down, the studio burned yeah. down, the laboratory burned yeah. down. Mm -hmm. Then it became the Peerless Film Company, which was the World Film yeah. Company. Mm -hmm. The Peerless. Yeah. Now listen, I'm going to give you some sheets that have some of the early um, world releases here. I mean, would you just go through and comment about them as it, as it occurs to you and uh, tell me the ones where you remember that Vanderbrook photographed and the ones that you did? And uh, Dollar Mark was yours, wasn't it? Dollar Mark is, yeah. the, that's, the Dollar Mark is the first picture that really started the world film because after that the money just started rolling in. I remember yep. Mrs. Uh, what is her name there? She's still with Mr. German in Fort Lee. She's one of the big members of the company. And at that time, Mrs. Riley. That's right. Yeah. They were depositing over $18,000 a week at that time on this picture, the dollar mark. The dollar mark. Hmm. Why was it such a big success, Arthur? Why do you think it was an exterior picture that had an awful lot of action. You'll see some of it yeah. in, the, in the album. That had a lot of action. It was well done, but it was a peculiar... See, I never... If I hadn't had made a gentleman from Mississippi... That's the one where you did exteriors on? That's the one yeah. I went to Natchez, Mississippi. Yeah. Right did after. that come before the dollar mark yes, or after? Before. Before. It came before the dollar mark. Mm -hmm. 
And it was on the strength of that picture that I made, when they saw that, I naturally made, I qualified to go ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Oscar Lund, who was going to do this picture with Rini Gisson, something happened between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And at the last moment, Lund would not go ahead. He says, no. He says, I've got to have a cameraman and I've got to have Edison. Well, for the love of Pete, Mr. Arno, word came in from Mr. Brillator to Mr. Arno, who was chief director, and Pop Grizzell interpreted this thing here to me and said, look, you have to get into the studio car. And by the way, Charlie Lund was a, one of our chauffeurs at the time. He drove the studio car. He became a director later when he came to California. He drove me to Mr. Brillator's office in town. Mm -hmm. And uh, in New York, yeah. I walked in there, and B says, Art, I want you to do me a favor. He says, you'll never regret it. He says, you have got to go on the dollar mark with Oscar Lum, but your train is leaving in two hours. Now they was had, this a location job, then? This was practically, my first trip was to Cobalt. Mm-hmm. And we were practically away on location all through that whole picture. Mm -hmm. It was almost all Where else did you picture. shoot besides the cobalt? Uh, up in the mines of cobalt, up at the Matabanic uh, mines. Then we came down to Fort William Henry. For, yes, down into Canada. Oh, we went to a number of locations on that thing. Mm -hmm. And. Did it take you very long to shoot it or not? Yes, that picture took quite a little while to make. We uh, we did a lot of mi Oscar Lund, who was a very he was the director, was a very fine art director, mm -hmm. and we built this dam for this picture in miniature. Mm -hmm. We built it to about a half inch scale. Yeah. And the man that was going to dynamite that thing, something happened and it was a flop and we had to go ahead and do it again. Mm -hmm. And I remember this man, Bob Warwick, who was the highest paid actor in New York. He was on this picture and that's why it was so important. Yeah. That we, but that, that turned out to be a great picture. When you did the gentleman from Mississippi, did you, uh, were you just going down for background shots or did, uh, well, you, did you go with members of the cast too? The we had Tom Wise and we had the members of the cast that were all with us on the gentleman's Mississippi. Let I me think see I if I just can... got one cast name there. I think I only have Tom Wise's name. Yeah. Tom Wise. Harrison Rhodes, we used his estate down in Natchez, Mississippi. He mm -hmm. was the artist. Uh -huh. We used his home, and it was a lovely, lovely colonial place, and the, the locale. And those people were so lovely that I remember when we had this big parade, and I had the camera mounted on a flat car on the streetcar right down through the main street of Natchez. Mm -hmm. And something happened, so instead of stopping the parade the motorman jumped off this thing here and turned the thing around and ran it the other way but the entire town turned out with these banners and and tom wise was a lovely man a fine actor then what else do you see on there that uh, strikes a chord 
Just a minute there. Maurice Tournier. Uh, Gail Kane, Milton Sills. He was only in the last scene, it said. Yeah. Apparently he made a hit of it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Just drop this on the floor. I think from there on they're written on both sides. Mrs. Wiggs of a cat, but that was California motion picture. Here's one I know I made, the Deep Purple. Oh, really? By Clara Kimball Young? Clara yeah, Kimball Young. Uh -huh. That's one that Good. I made. I'll pick that one up too. Did you do Lola or did somebody else? I did Lola. You oh, did? by the way, Lola was one of the first pictures that we made at the World Film. That's when she was married to Jimmy Young. Mm -hmm. He was the director. He was the director on the picture, and uh, we couldn't find a leading man, so Mr. Young played the part. Lola was one of her good pictures at that time. Mm -hmm. How about uh, The Wishing Ring with, uh, with uh, Vivian Martin, directed by Tourneur? Who would have been on that? Would that have been Vanderbrook? Wishing Ring. Vanderbrook made practically all of the pictures. The Turner ones. The Turner, yeah. yeah. Exactly all of them. Yeah. Did you do the marked woman with the London uh, Barbara Tennant or not? No. no. The dollar mark was the only picture that I made with Oscar Lund mm -hmm. and Barbara Tennant. That was the only one. Yeah. And then on I... was one, another one of our directors there, Frank Crane. Frank Crane? Yeah. Didn't he marry Alice Br Br or was that no, James no. Crane or Jimmy Crane? That was, uh, what was his name? That married uh, Alice Brady. Is it Crane, his name was. Ja James Crane? Jimmy he was Crane? an actor. Yeah. This man was an actor mm -hmm. that married her. Douglas McLean, Arlene Prey, Robert Worry. Found himself. Clara Kimball Young. What's the name of this thing I made with her? Oh, Hearts and Eggs. Hearts and Eggs. Oh, yeah, we have that. Well, that one there. You That's the one you made up, uh, Lake Saranac Lake. Lake. Yeah. 
It was Saturday. What did you say the temperature was there? I know that at one time, I I used to go there, oh, I made a number of pictures in Saranac Lake, not all with Miss Young, I made some others there. But the one there, that at one time while we were making this picture, it got to be about 40 below zero. 40 below? Yeah, it was, mm -hmm. oh, it was, we never did work that day. Mm -hmm. And our getaway was when we took the sleigh and the horse dropped them through the lake. That's in Hearts and Exile. That's in Hearts and yeah. Exile. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the print. Dropped them through the lake, yeah. There's a chase. I think we, uh, they're leaving the encampment there, and I think yeah. the police are after them. That's right. And they, they see the sleigh go careening yeah. over the frozen yeah, lake, right. and then the horseman galloping that's along. Right. And one of the, uh, yes, the horseman, uh, the horse cuts through the ice right. and he falls. See, we had prepared that thing very early in the morning. Yeah. We prepared that ice there and it just huh. had a very thin layer over it. What'd you do? Did you break it the night we before? We had to break it the yeah. night before. We had men. See, we weren't allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. But we were going to do it and we got out of there quickly. <laughs> mm -hmm. We left that same day. The company mm -hmm. left. How huh, did you have to, You got the horse out all right? I oh, yeah. We pulled the horse out. Yeah. Yeah. I have pictures of that. Mm -hmm. Emil Chotard apparently started here. His first world production was, in, oh, was released in March. You know, Emil Chotard is the, uh, he's a fine, what a lovely person and a grand gentleman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a good director. He made some very fine pictures. Mm -hmm. can't be well Some of the interiors have been taken at the Schwab home in New York. Quite a mansion. Uh, in Hearts, in, uh, what was that picture I made? Oh, Eyes of Youth, that I made with Alan Dwan. No, Cheating Cheaters, that I made with Alan Dwan. Mm -hmm. And we went up to uh, Burlingame, and I shot all the interiors, the inside of that house. On cheating cheaters. Hmm. Burlingame. In Burlingame, yeah, oh. uh, the the cook home. It's a very very beautiful place, mm -hmm. and I shot all of the interiors. Yeah, that was 1919. I think that came out in February. You might have done it at the end of 1918. That was a picture with Clarence William. Mm -hmm. Cheating cheaters. See, we made that picture, and I can remember as well as what happened today. We made it in exactly at that time. We made it in 13 days, and uh, Alan Dwan had the thing cut in two days, and he was he used to drive these big Mormon cars, and he was on his way <laughs> back east. <laughs> uh, well, I, mean, I think that picture was pretty successful, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Oh. Yeah. Yes, that was a successful mm -hmm. picture. This is sort of a dirty trick showing you all these great lists, but I thought it might stir some recollection for you. Yeah. You were probably photographing films just regularly right straight through here. Did you ever work with Capilani in those days? 
Yes, Andrio made a number of pictures with mm -hmm. Capilani. I had an experience back there at the World Film. A lot of these pictures, after Brillator, after William A. Brady, that's Alice Brady's father, became president yeah. at the Peerless, the World Film, he would, uh, he'd see the film and he said, well, I'm going to go ahead. I never knew of any making retakes. We never knew what that was because after we'd finish shooting a picture there, we used to go in and, and assemble it and cut it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cameramen did that. And it was John Vanderbrook that taught Clarence Brown how to cut film. Uh-huh. So Bill Brady used to, he'd say, uh, it happened with on a number of pictures that Alice made. He says, I want to make some retakes. I want you with me Sunday. So, I said, okay. Well, he didn't know anything about directing. Brady? <laughs> Brady. Yeah. He was a stage producer. Yeah. So we'd make these retakes, and I'll never forget, he'd fold up, and that was a lot of money in those days, he'd fold oh, up yeah. a $20 bill, and he'd give me that at the end of the day oh. for helping him. Oh. And he'd always do that on a Sunday. Why was that Sunday? Well, somehow or other there, the company would be shooting during the week, and yeah. on Sunday, uh, he'd, he'd go ahead and... Would you direct these retakes? No, he would direct oh, he them, would. but I'd help you. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't do this, no. or it's, it's better a, to do no. it this way. Yeah. I'd help him on the thing. Yeah. Oh, I had a number. It was Brulator who brought over uh, Capilani and Chotar, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, And had he brought over Tournor in the first place, too, as far as you remember? I don't know whether he did or whether Georgian did. Mm -hmm. See, Georgian was still present in France uh -huh. because the uh, old Eclair Film Company was a French firm with their su subsidiary was here. Mm -hmm. did, did, uh, was Clarence Brown working as an assistant director in those days or not? Or he uh, his stated position. No, he wasn't an assistant director at that time. There, he was a cutter. He was cutting all of Tournay's pictures. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure there that Bluebird, Prunella, Barbara Sheep was one of the most outstanding pictures. I think that was one of the first big outstanding pictures that Maurice Tournay made. Yeah, that was an art craft. For, that was done for Paramount about 1917, I think. God, that was a gorgeous. Yeah, Elsie Ferguson. Elsie Ferguson. I, I, yeah. I learned an awful lot watching that picture. You did. Mm -hmm. oh. You see, after all there, I mean, you gain your knowledge from either seeing paintings or you gain your knowledge in seeing what another man does and you just try, he copies from you and you copy from him. Yeah. And uh, John had plenty to offer. I'm sure he did. Oh. How'd you happen to be uh, over at, uh, in the Paramount studio then? Were you... At the Peerless. Oh, and I mean for Barbara Sheep. Was it made there and then does it... No, Barbara Sheep was made. It was released through Paramount, that's why I Was that it. released through Paramount? Yes, it was, uh-huh. Well, then Maurice Turner must have made that, and he... God, I wonder if I got my story wrong there, because what was the picture, can you remember, where John was drowned at Bar Harbor? Which one was woman. that? Picture of a woman that Turner was making. That he, Turner was 
Now, was that made after Bomber Sheep yeah. or before? Uh -huh. No, after. That was made at, and John yeah. Vanderbrook was with Turner wherever he mm -hmm. made that picture. Because mm -hmm. I know that he made those pictures, Bomber Sheep and uh, Prunella. Bomber Sheep, Prunella, the Bluebird. Bluebird. Then he did some later ones, That's Treasure right. Island and Victory. But that was afterwards, that he did them for Sam Rock. Yeah. Uh -huh. See, I was with Sam Rock at the time, mm -hmm. but I couldn't stay in New York, and I came back. And uh, let's see, I made all of the pictures with Lou Stone and Anna Q. Nielsen for Sam Rock. Mm -hmm. That was uh, <coughs> later, wasn't it? Yeah, that was later. Do you remember doing that thing with uh, Nat Goodwin, The Master Hand, where you got a credit as a assistant director. That was released in August 1915. The Master, yes, there's master a picture hand. in that album on that, right. on that Master Hand. Mm -hmm. Here is one here. Now this is a picture there, Trilby, that John Vanderbrook made. We have that at the house. Yeah. We have it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Beautiful thing. Oh, is it? That was re-released in 1917. Why do you suppose after so short an interval? It was made in 1915. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Clarence Brown about that the other day. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, uh, Von Sternberg was with the company this early or not? Or when did he come? He was at the World Film. No, I don't exactly know when he started, but I know that Joe... I used to see him, he was around in the shipping department at that yeah. time. Uh -huh. And the next time, then I left. When I left the World Film, when Brady was there, when I was working with Holly Knowles, after I'd made the picture with Ethel Clayton and Milton Sills down the northern part of Georgia, I forget the name of that darn thing. Is that, that Souls I mean. Adrift? Yeah, Souls Adrift, that's yeah. the one. That was made in Georgia. It was that's made in Georgia. That, it looks so tropical. Yeah. That's the one made in Georgia yeah. there with the alligators and oh, and those terrible fleas. Milton Sills used to rub me down with kerosene and I would rub him down with kerosene. <laughs> you, every night you slept under yeah. mosquito netting uh -huh. and it was, oh, it was brutal. Even in those days it was tough to take. How long did it, did, uh, were you shooting on that picture, do you remember? Was it a couple of weeks or was it longer? Oh, it, it was longer than that. It must I, have been a relatively big production then, wasn't it? It was considered a big yeah. production. The only thing happened on it that was an unfortunate thing that Ethel Clayton and uh, Harley Knowles, they got into a row. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think they sent, they sent another director down there to finish the picture. Mm -hmm. Well, so Knowles started out on it. Knowles started out on it. Now that's interesting it. because in the credits here, they, no director was given, you see. I that's couldn't figure out why Ollie that Knowles was Knowles is the man that started that picture. And who yeah. finished it, do you remember? Uh, Wouldn't have been Davenport. Was it Vale? Travis Vale? Travis Vale. I been. think they sent Travis Vale. And I can't think of the name of the man that they sent, the, the cameraman that they sent there, because I came back at that time. Oh, I see. Somebody else finished it? Somebody else finished that yeah. picture. Mm -hmm. I came back, and uh, I, st I made a picture with Holly Knowles and little Maggie Evans, our little star, mm -hmm. our little baby star. That wasn't bought and paid for, was it? Or was that no, later? no, bought and paid for was made later. That oh. was, isn't bought and paid for one I 
did with was Alice Brady, Brady World. Yes, yeah. Alice Brady. Yeah, and Montague Gordon Love. Gordon paid for Montague yeah. Love. That's right. God, we go back to a lot of pictures. Yeah, now, I think of that Madge Evans one is in there someplace. A little Madge Evans. There. There's a picture in the album on mm -hmm. that also. There where she's laying on the ground with Ethel Clayton, and I'm at the camera, and Holly Knowles is laying on the floor there. There's mm -hmm. there's a picture in there on that thing. Unless that was. Uh, no, that wasn't so that's We're moving to, let's see, we're in 1915, aren't we? Yeah. You didn't do this hard of the Blue Ridge with Clark and Young. No. No. Mm -hmm. I made. That's right. No, no, I didn't do this one. I thought I made that one called Body and Soul. No. Oh, wait a moment. The Code of the Mountains. Code of the Mountains? Uh. Can you do that one? Oh, I'm almost positive I made mm -hmm. Code of the Mountains. With Molly King, it was Molly King's first picture. Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to think of who the director was. I think, is it given there or not? I think it is. Uh, Look after where it says D, and then George. What name would that be? George Irving. Oh no! Yes. No. No! 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 Wait a minute. This is her body and soul. Uh, the Code of the Mountains was originally listed for release in there, and then it was changed. And I think it came out under some other title. Look on your next sheet there. Is it something that Molly King there? Is it? Uh. Oh, I'll find it. Once in a while, they'd announce a work title ahead, and then they'd shift the release dates mm -hmm. around and change the titles, and it's hard to find. Well, that Molly King picture, I you know that we that went up in the Adirondacks to make that. Maybe I find it. That we went up in the rat and, and we got lost. And being a boy scout, I knew that the moss would be on the... <laughs> oh, here it is. A Woman's Power was what it is came out Is that what came yeah. out? Directed by Robert Thornby and from the novel that, The Code of the Mountain. That's it, yeah. Robert Thornby. Douglas MacLean and Molly King. And Molly King, yeah. that's right. That came out later in, yeah. in 1916. But you that's right, that. that's the one. Okay. Yeah. That one you did photograph. Yeah, okay, I did fine. photograph. Yeah. Where did you, uh, did you go on location for that one? Up the northern part, up in the Adirondack Mountains. Mm -hmm. God, I'll never forget the day we, we left the company and... Thornton had Bob had an idea of he'd start wandering, and before we knew where the devil we were, we were lost. We were lost for hours and didn't <laughs> know how to get back to the company. Yeah. And uh, I remember that I said, "Look, if we could only find our direction, for now the on the north side of the rocks there'd be no moss." Yeah. <laughs> oh, the darndest thing, and and we got back, but they thought we were crazy. We were practically gone for the whole day. Yeah. But he was that type of man. That he just wandered on there and didn't care whether the. And we used to hear from the studio that when are you people coming home? He had no idea. Nobody else did. Good. I'm glad we dug out that credit. Yeah, that's one. Mm -hmm.
that woman's powers at the bottom of the page there. So it must have come out, uh, was released sometime early in 1916 there. Mm-hmm. Molly King, yeah. That's the one, mm-hmm. you know. That's the one. You see, after I came back to the world film when Brady was president, and then I went over to Sam Goldwyn to do Baby Mine, yes, yeah. and Nearly Married. Mm-hmm. And then I took sick on Nearly Married. I got this pneumonia, and the doctors insisted that I leave New York. Mm-hmm. I came to California. Mm-hmm. That's when I came out here with her company, the Clarence and the Young Company. And I made all those pictures there, Hush and Eyes mm-hmm. of Youth, and all of those pictures that we made. Then uh, baby, excuse me, uh, Arthur. Baby mine was copyrighted. And, uh, in other words, it was probably completed by September of 1917. Practically up to that time, had you still been working for up for World? Did you continue there? I was at World up to that time, yeah. and then I left World because I got into a terrific row with Brady. Yeah. When he got in touch with Sam Goh and says, what is the idea of taking one of my cameramen away from me? And oh, it's, and Mr. Brillato was straightening this thing out for me. If it hadn't been for him, I don't know, I guess I wouldn't have been working after that. (laughs) Because I was told there that I had to leave Goldwyn. And Madge Kennedy went to the front office and she said, wait a minute. He says, he's going to finish this picture. She went to my rescue. This is what, Baby Mine? Baby Mine. See, that was with Hugo Ballin and John Robinson. He was the directors. They were co-directors on that. Oh, Ballin. Yeah, Hugo Ballin and, yeah. and, and John Robinson. Uh-huh. They were the co-directors. Uh-huh. Now, that picture was started by a boy by the name of uh, Phil Rosen. He was on that picture for a few days. Uh-huh. And Ollie Marsh, the boy that made Ben-Hur, was my assistant on that. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Ollie was that your first goal when assignment? That's Baby the first Mine? goal when assignment was yeah. Baby Mine. Then I made Nearly Married after that one, the yeah. next one. Just those two films are Those two, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's when I used my my own little Gillon camera. Ah. <laughs> was Golden around much on the set or not? Uh, no, at that time, uh, I guess he was more interested in organization and everything else. But Hugo Ballin was a very, very fine artist, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, John Robinson, who was a fine director, he marked the combination worked out very, and she was such a lovely actor. Yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah, didn't we have Barrymore in that picture? No, we had Morgan. Frank Morgan? Frank Morgan was in that picture, Baby Mine. I don't have any others in the cast except just her. Oh, I'm sure that Frank Morgan was. I in know that he was around. I know Barrymore was in the picture with the one I made with uh, Lillian Russell. He was her oh, wildfire. wildfire. Oh, yeah. did you make that? Did you photograph that? I photographed that, yeah. Oh, for heaven's sake. Didn't you know that? that? No. Yeah, well, here's what happened no. on that, on wildfire. I was cutting a picture at the studio, and Brillator called, his office called. He says, Arthur, you've got to t- do me another favor. I says, what's the favor this time? You've got to leave for Charleston. I says, what do you mean, leave for Charleston? He says, Sal Polito's camera broke down. And you've got to go down there and you've got to take over that show. Well, Bayard, who was the, the uh, manager at the time, the studio manager, he got me on some damn 
train there. They got me out that same day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never got into Charleston until, oh, I don't know how many days later. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning when Mr. Middle Middleton was the director on that picture. Was it George Middleton? George Middleton, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And they met me, and I had to wait 20 years to find out that Sal Polito... <laughs> His camera has supposedly broken down. Broke his camera down there. He wanted to get off the picture because he wanted to get married, and he married Frances, oh. his wife, his wife today. Uh. And that is why the son of a gun broke that, that camera down. And I had to take over the show, and how wonderful that is. There also is a very lovely little card in that album from Lillian Russell, this Christmas party that she gave us. Yeah. And uh, we're all away from it. And this is just a few days before, about, oh, maybe five or six days before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I had... I didn't want to go there, but I just couldn't say no to the old man, and it was very lovely to me. I'll, I'll check the date down on that. I've got uh, yeah. material on that at the house. I'm just going to run through a couple more titles here to see if anything uh, strikes a chord here. How about As in a Looking Glass with Kitty Gordon? No. no. The Devil's Toy with Harley Knowles, Edwin Stevens, from the... Uh, the poem, The Mills of the Gods. No, no. The Unpardonable Sin of Holbrook Glenn. Uh, The Unpardonable Sin. Holbrook Glenn. No, I didn't do that one. Man and His Angel. No. Burton King. Another Robert Warwick, To Him That Hath. No. Brady. Passers-By. Directed by S.E.B. Taylor with Charles uh, Cherry. No. Did you any work on The Hand of Peril? Paragon film. Did you make any Paragon films at all? That was a company that uh, apparently Turner had formed, and they were releasing through World. This was with House Peters. They had a big set that was three stories high, three stories inside a house. I, don't, I remember the Paragon very well there, but I doubt whether... I think I was away from the studio at that time. The Struggle with... Um, let's see, Frank Sheridan. Velma with Robert Warwick and Francis Nelson. No. Feast of Life, that's the only one that I made with Bob Warwick was the Dollar Mark. That was his first picture. Mm -hmm. How about Bruce McRae in the Chain Invisible? No. Or the Social Highwayman with no. Edwin August? No. Gail Kane, did you work with her at all? Uh, her God? No. John Mason Clarifical and the Reapers? No. By Whose Hand? Edna Wallace Hopper, The Closed Road, Turner. Yeah. Let's see here. How about Shotar and Warwick and Sudden Riches for Fearless? Yeah. Or Tangled Fates with Alice Brady? Yeah. Let's see. I made a number of pictures with Alice Brady now. I can't think what they are. Mm -hmm. She was a lovely girl. Husband and Wife. Ethel Clayton and Old Wolf and Holbrook Glenn. No. A Woman's Way, Ethel Clayton and Carlisle Blackwell, directed no. by Barry O'Neill. Uh, no. The Almighty Dollar. No, that was Andrea. Who was Hal Young? Was he a relative of Claire Kimball's or not? Hal Young was also a cameraman. Mm -hmm. He was a cameraman. I think he was a boy from England. Hal Young.
What was the picture I took in with me? How about the gilded cage with Harley Knowles with Alice Brady? Yes. We have that at the house. Yes. We just got a print of it. You know uh, yes. it? You did do that. I did the gilded cage. Ah, yeah. fine. Alec yeah. Francis, Gary to Holmes, Montague Love. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Remember anything thing. about that? I haven't seen the thing. It was. I, uh, I have a very, very faint recollection. Mm -hmm. See, I made a lot of pictures with Harley Knowles. That's the funny part of it. How about the hidden scar? Barry O'Neill, did you ever work for him? No. no. Bought and paid for is another one you did, but we yes. had that credit there. Okay, that's fine. Now, let's see. Now, you told about going over to Goldwyn, then you did those two pictures. Then there's, on, in my credits here on this sheet, there's a lapse of nearly a year before you do a Clara Kimball Young picture. Is that right? Were you ill all that length of time, or did you... No, right after uh, the, the period of... Oh, I imagine it was a number of months between Nearly Married, the one that I did with Madge Kennedy yeah. and Richard Bothamus. That's when I took sick. Then I came out here to California, and I got out here in the month of March. We had these terrible rains out here. Mm -hmm. We didn't do anything for a number of months until we got to the Eatendale studio that they took over. Then I started to make all of those other pictures there, Hearts and Eggs, uh... The road to the dark, the, and uh, cheating cheaters, mm -hmm. and eyes of youth, mm -hmm. with Albert Parker, and a number of those pictures. Then, on tip, then I made the Madonna. That is when Charlie Rocha was with Mary Pickford, and Douglas was having trouble on the Three Musketeers. And I went over with Douglas on the Three Musketeers and stayed with him for three years. Mm -hmm. On had, Musketeers, Robin Hood, and Thief of Baghdad. Had somebody else started on the, the Three Musketeers? Yes. There were three men on that that started that picture. One of them's name, his name was Forbes, and uh, maybe Chu and McGann. Mm -hmm. And they'd worked on the picture for about two or three days mm -hmm. when Douglas stopped production. And he asked Charlie Rocher, he says, Charlie, they had been talking the thing over, he and Mary. Yeah. And uh, they tried to get me, but I was tied up at the time. This was when Douglas had seen one reel of, what was it? Uh, Solo Sol Raphael. Yeah. yeah. A picture that I'd made with Clara Kimball Young. And, and what and caused him to decide that you were the cameraman for him? Was it something about the lighting? Well, the it was Charlie, it, it must have been. It must have been the, the mood the picture was in. It was a picture that gave any man a, a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. It was a very beautiful thing. It was all Spanish atmosphere and it was very pretty. Mm -hmm. And uh, how long did the uh, Three Musketeers take? Do you remember? Actually, the shoot. Yeah. We were on that pic. Oh, that took many months to make. Maybe took four months to actually shoot the picture. Mm -hmm. But his preparation. I was there practically one whole year working with the company. And. Uh, you get your salary whether you were actually shooting or not. Mm -hmm. This is on Thief of, uh, Three Musketeers. This is on Three yeah. Musketeers. The same happened on mm -hmm. Thief of Baghdad, mm -hmm. and Rob Robin Hood came next, mm -hmm. and then Thief of Baghdad. Yeah. Now, on the Three Musketeers, um, did, he, did he follow a script very closely, or did he sometimes improvise and depart from the script and uh, as he went along? He had a peculiar way of working. 
George. Mm -hmm. He, uh, you could carry his script on one sheet of paper in your back pocket. The man never had a script. You never knew no. what he was going to do, but here's what would happen. His sequences, he'd work out at night, and the following morning, whether it was Niblo, or whether it was Alan Dwan, or whether it was Raoul Walsh, we'd walk over on the set, Mm -hmm. And he'd lay the whole thing out. He had the whole thing in his mind. Yeah. He had a, uh, a marvelous way of, of doing things. And he'd have us all there, and uh, any one of our suggestions there will be accepted. It was just a... And he did that through all three pictures. Mm -hmm. That's the way he worked. Yeah. Which I mention in this. This, this thing here covers so many things mm -hmm. up to the point where we have gotten now. All right. You'd have to, if you... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought we were on that side. this thing you see what I mean if you want to ask me questions in between this, mm -hmm. this is why, why don't you just sort of go ahead and uh, just write the monologue okay and if I think of anything I can, uh, yeah, I can you question can, you in between you can stop me in between no. in the year of 1910 when I first ventured into the motion picture business I certainly had no visions of a career like this I was a portrait photographer from New York but overwork and the peculiar feast and famine conditions of portrait photography, wondering where the next dollar is coming from, for the month for from from ten months of the year, then slaving day and night for two months to try and catch up with the Christmas rush, had given me an urge to get out of the rut and into some new line of work. So one day I went out of the old Eclair studio in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and applied for a job. While I was sitting in the outer office waiting to see someone, a man came in and pointed to several of the men who were sitting there waiting, said, I'll take you and you and you. Come with me. I was one of those selected. And once inside the mysterious recesses of the studio, I found I had been hired as an actor. Luckily, acting wasn't entirely unfamiliar to me, for I had done some amateur and semi-professional work presenting dramatic recitations from time to time. So I slipped easily into it, and before long, had an I was an established member of the studio's acting company. But while, but, while most, but while moving acting was interesting, I couldn't quite get the love of photography out of my system. After a while in my spare time, I began to make portraits of my fellow actors. When the troupe went out on location, I would make scenes outdoors. Sometimes... I would make more conventional portraits in an unused corner of the studio stage. At night, I would develop the negatives and make the prints in an improvised darkroom at home. Those portraits must have, had, must have been pretty good, for they caught the eye of the studio's ace cameraman. 
Looking at several of them, he told me, your weight caught the eye of one of the studio's ace cameramen. Mm -hmm. Looking at several of them, he told me, you're wasting your time as an actor, and he advised me to try and switch over to the other side of the camera, where my ability would mean more and I could be sure of a longer and steadier career. I thought the idea was a good one. My friend persuaded the Eclair Powers to offer me the post of official studio portrait photographer, which I was happy to accept. I cleared out a corner of the studio's laboratory hypo room to serve as a dark room for my still work and snapped exposures on the studio stages whenever and wherever I could. Luck was with me and my pictures clicked. But the more I saw of the picture business, the more clearly I saw that the job I wanted was behind a motion picture camera. Getting there was another matter. There were no possibilities of getting a job as an assistant cameraman and then working my way to a first. For 40 years ago, there were no assistant cameramen. There was only one cameraman to a troop, and he did everything. He loaded and unloaded the camera, photographed the scenes, and nearly always edited the picture as well. In his spare time, he also shot the stills. Nonetheless, I managed... Excuse me, Arthur, yeah. would you tell me what your cranking speed was in the for silent films? Well, I used to bring Fairbanks sometimes in at a speed of 20 yeah. into a room, and then I'd drop him down. All the He used to be so fast, I used to have to go ahead and slow him down, then I'd pick up his speed. I used to be changing focus, at changing the shutter speed, and, and, and cranking practically through a scene. I never knew what it would. I'd just be watching him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the man used to be so fast that I used to always have to... If he came into a door, he'd shoot in like a cannon. Yeah. So I'd go ahead then and overcrank the thing to slow him down. Yeah. <laughs> he never knew. Wonderful. It had a marvelous... Uh, later on when these motors came in, yeah. and uh, I don't know what the picture was that Charlie Rocha was using. I think it was little Lord Fauntleroy with Mary Pickford. And he saw this motor and he didn't see Charlie cranking the camera. He said, what is this? <laughs> he was befuddled, I mean, he was bewildered. Yeah, uh -huh. He didn't know that you could go ahead and do the same thing with that motor. Yeah. That you could slow it down, you could speed it up, you could do everything that yeah. you could do by cranking. Yeah. Uh, you were towards the foot of the page yes. there, I interrupted you. Uh, all right. Getting there was another matter. There were no, well, I'll, no, I gotta get down further here. There was only one cameraman to a troop, and he did everything. He loaded and unloaded the camera, photographed the scenes, and he always edited the picture as well. In his spare time, he also shot the stills. Nonetheless, I managed to learn a great deal about, cin about cinema photography as it was practiced then. I learned partly from observation and from the help of my friend John Vanderbrook who was one of the great cameramen of that period, of that pioneer era. Eventually, I got a chance at, at, as a cameraman. One of my fellow cameramen took sick during a picture, and on Vanderbrook's suggestion, I was asked to pinch hit and finish the picture. From then on, I had the unique distinction of being the only American cameraman in the employee of this French firm. 
In those pioneer days before World War I, French directors and French cameramen dominated the creative side of the industry. And studio, any studio which had any professional pretensions at all, had at least one French director and one French cameraman to lend a touch of genius to its productions. The Eclair studio, being an American branch of a French firm, which, by the way, was still operating in France up to the arrival of the Nazi, had Frenchmen in almost all the key creative posts. My success as a cameraman under these circumstances was therefore a tremendous tribute to my ability. The work wasn't without its difficulties, however. That was when flat lighting was the rule of the day. I began to introduce some of the lighting ideas I had learned in my portrait work. A suggestion of modeling here, an artistic place shadow there, and being trained in portrait work, my efforts tended to the softer portrait-like quality. This was so completely out of line with what was considered good photography in those days that I had to use all sorts of salesmanship to convince everyone it was good camera work. From then on, I made it a point to study lenses. I realized that the camera was a box with film running through it. The most important thing necessary was a good lens, the film used, and my knowledge of lighting the scene, not to overlook how I frame for composition. My first big assignment was made, made to order. Opportunity was made to order, opportunity for any cameraman. Most of the picture was filmed on location in the south with almost perfect weather conditions, locations with magnolias, Spanish moss, and old oaks. That was the gentleman. That was the gentleman from Mississippi, where everything a cameraman could ask, where everything a cameraman could ask for, for pictorial photography. I made the most of it, and turned in the picture was thought very beautiful, and everybody was delighted. And when, not long after, the American Eclair Company was reorganized as the World Film Company, with Jules Brulatour as its head, I was reorganized. I was, I was recognized as one of the organization's cameramen. I was assigned to photograph Clara Kimball Young, one of the industry's biggest stars. And when Miss Young left World Film. To form her own company, I went with her to California. In the East, I had been active in the nation's first organization of the motion picture cameramen, the Cinema Camera Club. And when I came to Hollywood, I took an active part in an affiliation, in an affiliated Western organization, first known as the Static Club, and later as the Cinema Camera Club of California. And in 1919, when this organization was reorganized to form the American Society of Cinema Photographers, I was one of the charter members and have served actively on the Society's Board of Governors ever since. I accepted the presidency in 1954. In fact, the night before last, I was just re-elected as their first vice president. Oh, That's, when you called That's when I yeah. called you. In the early 20s, I'd known that's where we're coming into practically what has happened from then on. 
In the early 20s, I joined Douglas Fairbanks Sire's production organization, which was probably the foremost production outfit in the country. Working with Doug was one of the great experiences of my life. Doug Fairbanks was an inspiration to everybody who worked with him. We often hear about producers, directors, and actors in our business who say they are working toward bigger and better things. But all too often it is only disappointing publicity with no foundation in fact. But Doug was really striving to advance motion picture as an art. He was constantly seeking new and more expressive ways to do things. And he actively welcomed into his organization people who were trying to make similar progress in their own fields. Among the silent films I made with Doug were The Three Musketeers, Robin Hood, and The Thief of Baghdad. Doug Fairbanks had a keen appreciation of the real significance of photography. I don't mean that he insisted blindly on pretty photography, regardless of whether or not it fitted the picture. He knew just as well as any cameraman that purely pictorial camera work can sometimes hurt a story just as much as it can help. As an example of this, I remember how we made Robin Hood. Fairbanks had a unique way of working. He never worked from a script in the formal sense of the, wor of the work. He would mull things around in his mind for weeks or months until he had the basis, basic story concept worked out mentally to his satisfaction. Then he'd start shooting, working closely with director and cameraman and getting what he wanted, but seldom anything written in script form. The Robin Hood script consisted of half a dozen lines scrawled on the back of a piece of paper, just rough and almost undecipherable notes as to character, conflict, intrigue, etc. The rest was locked in Doug's brilliant mind. As we began to get really into the picture, I found myself in a quandary. He had some of the biggest sets ever built in Hollywood, and with the costumes and pageantry, I knew the picture offered some of the most spectacular photographic opportunities any cameraman ever had. But I didn't know enough about the story to know whether or not I ought to take advantage of them. Finally, I went to Doug and said, This is a cameraman's picture if there ever was one. But tell me, if I sock it with everything I got, will your story stand it? I don't want the photography to overpower your story. Doug smiled and told me to go ahead, and I did. I think the outcome proved he was right, for Robin Hood is still remembered as perhaps Doug's strongest picture. But I'm sure if he had had a weaker story and a weaker characterization, spectacular camera work could have submerged them so completely that the picture would have been one of those things everyone would discuss and being visually beautiful but without any real punch as a picture. And granting equal story strength, a variety of different visual treatments are possible. The picture of the Maltese Falcon called for strong, modernistic, eye-arresting camera work, while a picture like the Great Waltz would be ruined by that treatment. It demands a highly pictorial touch.
Did you do the Great Waltz, Arthur? No, I didn't do the Great oh, Waltz. I'm just quoting yeah. that one there yeah. as, as having been a beautiful yeah. picture mm -hmm. photographically. Yeah. Other pictures require that the camera work be as conspicuous, as inconspicuous as possible to heighten the illusion of realism, perhaps keep an overpowering, fr from overpowering a weak story. The best thing, I think, is to strive to always keep things as simple as possible, photographically speaking. The principal factors are always the story and the actors, and if lighting and composition are kept simple, and the accent is placed on the story and actors rather than on the camera, we can't go very far wrong. Within the last years, I can point to a list of pictures I photograph which represent an investment of more than $100 million. Among them are some memorable films of cinema history, both silent and sound. Others are remembered as, as showmen, as being uh, remembered by showmen as being among the industry's top money makers, and always a cinematographer's favorite since they give such opportunity to play around with effect lighting, those best remember horror pictures, the first Frankenstein, and also the Invisible Man. The other pictures I enjoyed making are the Patent Leather Kid, The Lost World, The Bat, and Stella Dallas, as well as the challenge presented in Old Arizona, the first outdoor talking, talkie and the cockeyed world, one of the most successful pictures to ever hit the box office. All quiet on the Western Front, an all-time and award winner. The big trail made on now happily forgotten 70 millimeter Grandeur film. And Mutiny on the Bounty, also an award winner. Later I worked at Warner Brothers, having made a drive by night, ceiling zero, Submarine D1, Each Dawn I Die, The Maltese Falcon, Across the Pacific, The Battle Scenes in Sergeant York, and one of my very best efforts, Casablanca. And even later I did camera work on many colored musicals. At present I enjoy looking forward, seeing the work of my fellow cameramen, and must say thanks for the memory. Thank you so very much. Arthur Edison. I'm going to let this tape run a little bit now. I'll tell you, there's a print that we have at the house on They Won't Forget. Do you remember working on that? Which one? They Won't Forget. Yes, I remember that very well. Was uh, uh, Mervyn Leroy the producer? Mervyn Leroy was the director, and Lana Turner was in that picture. Mm -hmm. She was a little girl. The first thing she ever did mm -hmm. in a in a drugstore sequence, and she sat there talking to a soda, soda jerk, and that was the only thing she did in that picture. But the picture had Claude Rains, who gave a great performance as his district attorney, and that was the, the first picture I did at Warner Brothers. It was an unfortunate thing how that happened. I'm not going to mention the name of the man that was right. taken off the picture. Mm -hmm. But I was called in on that picture one evening. See, I was under contract to Warner Brothers. And I was called that evening, Art, you've got to come in in the morning, go in the projection room and look at this film. You've got to take this show over. And I says, oh, wait a moment.
Well, who is it? What is it? And I knew this boy very well. And Merwin, he had never been a cameraman, and Merwin was making a cameraman out of him, giving him a break, mm -hmm. which I thought was a wonderful thing. So I said, I'll be there tomorrow morning. So I went to Merv and I said, Merv, look, I just ran all of this film. Give me the opportunity of staying on the stage with this man for just, I know what's wrong with it, eh? He used a lens he shouldn't have used. He used a wide-angle lens. He didn't know how to use it. Give me the opportunity of letting this man, let me stay with him for just a few hours on the set, and you'll see that it. He'll turn out a fine job. Mm -hmm. He's one of the men we had on stage five who was doing a lot of trick work. Mm -hmm. Wave says, Art, I gotta get a quality of of heat and and sweat in this picture. He says, it 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 just won't work out. So I had nothing else I could say. I had to take over the show. And I did and I finished the picture. There's a letter in here from Merv, mm -hmm. the album there. He was very sweet about the whole thing and asked me to do his next picture that he was going to produce. Al Green directed the picture which I made. That was, uh, oh, I forget who it was that the star he had in this picture. He was a singer. It was his first picture. Kenny Baker? Kenny Baker. Mm -hmm. That's right, Kenny yeah. Baker. So I made that one there after that and then I stayed with Warner's quite a long mm -hmm. time. Oh, I meant to but ask you about the Invisible Man. That's really a that, uh, wonderfully tricky picture. Well, you see, I was over at Un I had made Frankenstein with Jimmy Whale. Yeah. And uh, that was a terrific box office mm -hmm. success. That Beautiful was the first one. Too. We made that picture, and then... Well, I listen, I meant to ask you. I think that in some places they cut out that sequence where he was sitting alongside of the lake playing the flowers as a little girl. They did cut I that out. Mm -hmm. I saw this thing on television one night and I almost went sick to my stomach on the right. thing. They had a prologue at the beginning of some woman. I don't know what she said or what she did, but it killed the entire thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I let it go on for a while and then I turned it off. Uh, Colin Clive was the actor in the mm -hmm. thing. He was the the scientist, and I, I'll never forget. Frankenstein was one of those things that the makeup itself. He wore a green shadow makeup, mm -hmm. a, a gray shadow makeup I had on him, with those things, those metal thorns sticking out of yeah. his neck. Yeah. And those were ideas that Jimmy Whale had on that, mm -hmm. and uh, he handled that. He had made Journey's End before that, yeah. and then he made that one. Clive was in that, yeah. too, I remember. Yes, he was. There was this yeah. marvelous sequence of the great windmill, I remember, at the oh, end. Oh, yeah. Didn't uh, Frankenstein take the scientist and throw him out? Or he throws him out, yeah, that's he right. catches on one of the, yeah. the wings, of, wings. The, of the revolving yeah. that's right. mill yeah. Yeah. and drops it yeah. up. By the way, I think that on the reissue they had a happy ending, too. They did? Yes. Oh. Oh. Do you remember making an alternate ending at the time? Two endings? No, we didn't make two endings on that. We only okay. made one. We only made one ending on that. Mm -hmm. What they do with it after you finish a picture and they get that to where they're going to send it out for exploitation, then one never knows. But uh, the Invisible invis Man was an interesting thing because See, practically all of that was done with wire work. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, if any of those were it had to be made real yeah and the idea of blending those wires and uh, it was a, a difficult thing to to go through because i was always conscious of a little light hitting it it was a terrific handicap mm -hmm. on a lot of things that i would have liked to have done with that type of picture but i couldn't do it on account of these wires yeah just a very fine thin wire there that would suspend and practically do all just the way you do with puppets mm -hmm. we did the same thing the throwing of the inkwell into his face and all of those things mm -hmm. there that was all done right there mm -hmm. so you speak of that as the, the finest French or the finest trick work since the early French film oh well it was, that was a lot of work. it was did uh, you enjoy I enjoyed oh yes that? you enjoy doing those things George because they become a challenge that's yeah. why you enjoy doing them mm -hmm. and uh, when I started that thing I said for the love of God what am I doing here <laughs> 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 and another thing I got I had made one just before Frankenstein that was how I happened to go with Jimmy Whale called the law uh, man who came back no no, no. Waterloo wife. Bridge oh, yeah. Waterloo Bridge I'd made that and I, Whale had a habit of, he'd rehearse three days before his picture, and then in between the picture, after he'd worked two or three or four weeks, he'd rehearse three more days. So in the rehearsing of the first part of it, I got watching this thing, and I said, God Almighty, I don't think this man knows what a dolly is. I said, I could go ahead and practically tie this whole thing up in one continuous shot with give it a wonderful mood without cutting the darn thing yeah. so watching it there I, t I spoke to him I said Jim I've been watching your rehearsal if I can make a suggestion I think it's got a lot of weight because I can go in this was in a in the kitchen and a little corridor where I could get this dolly that I had well in the first scene that morning I made 22 changes of focus and tied the whole sequence that is, his semi-shots, his intermediate shots, side close-ups and everything. Now, I had that dolly, not the way they use them now, but I had them laid on a Durrell track. And the whole thing was rehearsed so that my grips, my assistants and everybody, they knew just exactly. And that afternoon I made another one that had about 16 changes of focus. And that night we went in the projection room and we saw it. He says, Art, we're three days ahead of schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't break him of yeah. doing that from then on. Then he wanted to go shooting through with a wide-angle lens, with a 28-millimeter lens. He wanted to run through all these rooms and things. And very often, now what I mean, when I got from one room to another, and I had to put ceiling pieces up, which took a lot of time and then there was no way of lighting these things by putting these ceiling pieces up but he used to insist on oh we have to use that I said look we cannot shoot with this lens because it it covers so high and it's it, the angle is so wide I said I'll do the shot for you but I'm not going to do it with this wide angle lens because it's impossible I'll be here all day long there just trying to go ahead and mat off the sections that I hit when I run through these rooms. <laughs> so 
he had to be educated how when to use that lens yeah. and when not. That is one of the lenses that I used. I was always very partial to using lenses, special lenses. Mm -hmm. The Maltese Falcon, which I shot everything yeah. with this very, very wide lens, the same as they did. By the way, the same boy there who was also my assistant for four years, Greggy Tolan. Oh, oh yeah. Greg was my assistant. Yeah. Citizen Kane. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, I never would have made that picture if I hadn't seen Citizen Kane. Really? I never would have made the Maltese Falcon. That was John Huston's first picture. Yeah. Wonderful film. Just I wonderful. Would, well, it was one of the ten best that year, and it was made for peanuts compared to what pictures cost at that time. We had a meeting one time, and Mr. Warner says, Arthur, he said, do you realize that picture only cost $430,000? Why can't we make more of them? I says, well, the combination of director and cameraman and art director and everybody combined with that picture made it possible to do that. I had Bob Hass, who was yeah. a fine art director. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And every set had a full ceiling on it. Yeah. And all those lights were concealed behind chairs and couches. and it, That wasn't an easy thing to do. No, I don't think so. And the actors were scared to death because the camera was sitting right in their laps all the time. Yeah. And then I'd run into sound trouble every once in a while, but I was very fortunate. I had a very, very quiet BNC camera mm -hmm. so that the sound man, when he'd start to squawk, I'd say, well, now, wait a minute, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll throw a Barney on top of the blimp. <laughs> <laughs> and in that way there, I said, look, I, I can't use it. I can't use a, a, a 40 or a 50 or anything because the entire mood would change. I've got to use that wide-angle lens, which I did. Mm -hmm. Did you use that same lens in Casablanca or not? No, only in some things. It had to be used very, very carefully. Yeah. That was the thing that when I made that picture, that Deep South, unless we forget, mm -hmm. with Marvin Leroy, that boy used a lens like that, which he never should have used. Mm -hmm. There's quite a story connected with that. I got in this courtroom sequence, going back to that, mm -hmm. And Mervyn says, I said, it was about half past four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, oh, God, here's where I should use this in this courtroom sequence to give him that, that depth of focus and, and what he really needs. Mm -hmm. So I said, Merv, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Now, don't get, get excited. I'm going to shoot this courtroom sequence with a very wide-angle lens. He said, oh, Art, please don't. I said, now, look. Tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, I'm going to shoot it two ways for you. I'm going to shoot one scene with, I think it was a, a 40, and I'm going to shoot the other one with this wide-angle lens. Mm -hmm. One that I have. I still have the lens. It's, it's practically a little 21 millimeter. Mm -hmm. That's what it yeah. is. So uh, <clears throat> I said, tomorrow morning, you will see it in the projection room. So I didn't tell him which one was coming on first, and the two of them come on, and... This comes on and says, oh, God, that's what I want. I said, well, that's with the wide angle. And I'm going to shoot the entire sequence with it, yeah. which I did. Mm -hmm. And it worked out beautifully. Mm -hmm. You've got to use it with a, with a certain amount of discretion. You I can't suppose. use it on everything. Do you remember Arthur making uh, his double life with Lillian Gish and Roland Young? Yes, I do remember that. We have that. a print of that at the house. Have you? Uh -huh. Yeah. I made that for Arthur Hopkins. Yeah. I was brought back to New York during that strike period that we had out here when all the cameramen went on strike, and I also had to go on strike. 
<coughs> so I took a trip on to New York, and while I was there, Arthur Hopkins asked me whether I'd go ahead and do this picture for him, which was, it was a difficult thing. I had very little equipment at the Astoria studio. We had no, uh, no projection, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, process projection at all. Yeah. They were just rigging that thing up. And then they wanted me to go to Europe to make a lot of plates. And I said, oh, it's almost impossible. So I had one of the boys in England there, Glenn McWilliams. He shot some plates for me. And instead of sealing his cans, they were all full of mildew spots. When they came back, and oh, it was. But that was, a, I made that picture. And see, we never worked. You never worked uh, after, f you worked five days a week. At that time, mm -hmm. Friday night, we'd knock off until Monday morning. And uh, <coughs> we finished that picture in about 20 days. You did? Yeah. Came out pretty well, too. It's a rather charming 20 days. Yeah. Lillian Gish, remember working with her in that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. One of her early song films. She remembered that well. Yeah, let me see. You didn't say much about Mutiny on the Bounty, Arthur. I think you should tell us a little bit about that. Oh, that was a great experience. That was a great experience. It's unfortunate how some of those things happen. Now, Charlie Clark, who's a very, very fine cameraman, he went down to Haiti with Frank Lloyd on that. Mm -hmm. And he... Oh, they shot down there for... We after more than a month. At that time, I was called over to MGM. I was under contract to Warner's. I was called to MGM. That Ray June had an ulcerated tooth, and he was in an awful bad way. Would I help him? And I, I was up at the lake house. And I came into the studio, and I walked over on the set. And Ray really was in misery. I said, go ahead, Ray. Let me just watch you for a minute. And you go on. It was near noontime. I said, you better get to the doctor there and let me take this thing over, which I did. It was with Clark Gable. It was a picture that Tay uh, Garnett was doing called uh, China Seas. Oh, really? Yeah. No, we showed that at Eastman House did this you? year. Yeah. So I went ahead and I worked. I worked on you that. You finished for, it up? No. I worked on it for about a week. Yeah. I did three or four sequences in the picture. Which were the sections you did, do you remember? Oh, gosh, I don't remember Gene now. Harlow, remember? Uh, no. Robert Benchley. Uh, Clark Gable was in it. Yeah. <coughs> Clark Gable was in it the day I got there. And that was, I was luckily there because you had to photograph you had to watch Clark very carefully. And Bray put me wise to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. He says, Artie, he said, just watch these few little things outside of that. You don't have yeah. to worry about anything. <clears throat> and then that evening, I ran most of his picture that mm -hmm. had been shot with Tegon Garnett so I could get the mood of the thing. See, I was following out exactly yeah. what he was mm -hmm. doing for going into some of the other sequences. And uh, right after that, I don't think I was doing anything when I was called into the laboratory by Nikolaus and Johnny Arnold, and they says, come in the lab, I want to show you something. 
and I walk in and they pull up some of these racks and they're just as gray there's absolutely no blacks in them at all well the sad thing that happened oh is this the rushes on mutiny or what this was all the film that had been sent back on mutiny from Tahiti it hadn't been dehydrated now why in God's world Charlie ever did that nobody ever will know and he just he was he should have been advised no. if he had gone to a picture was being shot there at the time by Clyde DeVinney who had been doing a lot of work there he was doing a picture called Mala mm -hmm. he would have told him or his assistant would have told him but it was sent back and none of that film could be used mm -hmm. I was called into the office by Irving Thalberg and I was asked whether I, I would take the picture over. I said, well, you get in touch with Warner Brothers and if it's agreeable with them, I'd love to do it. Mm -hmm. They did get in touch with Warners and the picture was assigned to me. Mm -hmm. And that is how I came to do a mutiny on the bounty. Wonderful. One man's misfortune and my good fortune. <laughs> Well, because the that's the way it goes there. Charlie stayed with MGM. I didn't, uh, after I finished that, I had to go back to Warner's. And, uh, but I was 20 weeks on the ocean. Mm. <laughs> uh, see, we practically had that whole thing. All the interiors were sent down on this great big 90-foot barge. Were sent down, and I did them in the big dance hall they had down at the isthmus mm -hmm. I had that all soundproofed in there and I said look we have to wait for the weather to, when the doldrums we have to wait for wind in the sails all this waiting that we're going to have let's shoot our interiors and then when the weather is good let one of those boats come in here and tell us what it is 30 miles out at sea one of these fast boats that you got coming back see we used to get five o'clock in the morning yeah. and uh, when the boat come back and say it's wonderful okay a big gong would ring and it would bring charlie lawton and the rest of them down from the banning house and we'd be coming from all directions there into the water taxis and out to the bounty <laughs> wonderful perfect out to the bounty and then we'd start out we'd start out to sea and uh, Frank Lloyd would be rehearsing and then on the way coming back and then I had a fellow on there who was wonderful the skipper we had on the bounty because he more or less you can get into a backlight on the ocean and that's murder especially when you're photographing faces because they're gonna be just as black as my shoes no. So uh, I would get him to go ahead and maneuver his sails there when it's just so that because I only had, oh, I had a little generator on that with a little booster light, some reflectors, and Lawton couldn't see if you hit him with a reflector and he started blinking his eyes and I'd say, Let, let's quit. <laughs> that was, if he didn't know his dialogue, I don't think I should put this on recording. All right, wait. Yeah. <laughs>